Welcome to the Consumed Church Weekly Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoy this message, Setting Our Minds on the Spirit, by Pastor John. This message was given with visual aids and may be better understood by watching on our Facebook page or YouTube channel. For any further information about this message or the ministries of Consumed Church, you can check us out at theconsumedchurch.com. This week I want to talk about setting our minds on the Spirit. Um, Last week we talked about what it looked like in a corporate setting to embrace the work of the Spirit. And I know that um, we're a catch-the-fire church. And with the uh, affiliation with Catch the Fire comes kind of an expectation of the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. That's just uh, maybe not this particular crowd is mixed on that expectation. Um, But I think that most folks that have some understanding of the history and background of Catch the Fire um, have an expectation uh, that the Holy Spirit is going to show up and that different Uh, visible things will happen uh, when you come to church here. And so we see some of that happening. And um, for those that have never experienced that and even have experienced that, but you're the, you're the one person in the room, you're the, the, uh, the the, uh, statue in the room. that's like, I don't know why, but the Lord just doesn't ever do that to me. I feel like that this will be helpful. Uh, I, I felt like the Lord dropped this a particular message in my heart um, months and months ago, kind of when we were having the uh, revival thing early in the year that was happening all over uh, the planet, really, and still is. Uh, so even our Tuesday night classes, we've been teaching and preparing and talking about what does that look like, the manifestations of the Spirit, maybe manifestations of other spirits, and you know things that we can expect uh, when the kingdom of heaven starts breaking through into our reality. So... Uh, I want to talk about this concept of setting our minds as disciples. It's still part of the life of the disciple, uh, but we're going to talk about the practice of actually orienting ourselves that our lives would be geared towards uh, what God is doing in heaven. Y'all remember last week we talked about uh, beholding His glory, that that, that is actually the uh, the solution, that is the the way in which God has designed for us to grow and for us to encounter the kingdom of heaven is when we actually behold His glory together. How many of y'all heard that or were here last week? How many of y'all were blessed by that? Yeah, that it's it, that's a privilege and it's, and it's part of our inheritance that we actually get to behold His glory. But rather than a bunch of self-introspection and uh, trying to do a bunch of self-correction Uh, We've got a lot further down the road in our life with the Lord by coming together as a community of disciples and learning how to actually uh, behold His glory together. Amen? This week, however, is going to be a little bit more on the personal side as far as kind of connecting the dots with what happens when we're in a community and we feel like we're the, the one person in the room that doesn't get it. Has anybody been? I've been that person before. I, I remember um, my friend Alan took me to uh, my mom. Let's, let me back up. My mother had asked me. I said, Mom, I'll give you anything for Mother's Day. Maybe you've heard me tell this story. Whatever you want, I'll give it to you. And uh, last week I told a story about her form of church was they would go and 
lay on the floor and soak. And I was like, I, yeah, I, I can't connect to that. That's a little too strange. Uh, even though I was a spirit-filled believer, but uh, that was a step beyond for me. But she says, hey, John and Carol Arnott are going to be at, at um, um, CF&I, and I, what I want for Mother's Day is for you to go. <laughs> I was like, oh, she got me. <laughs> it's the first time I ever saw John and Carol Arnott. And uh, so I was talking to my friend Alan and just telling him, man, I'm petrified. I don't know. And he said, I'll go with you. It's not that big a deal. I said, really? Because he was very theologically minded. I thought that that would have been something that he would not be into. But he's like, no, 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 that's pretty normal. You know, when the God of the universe uh, shows up in the room and somebody sticks, it's like sticking your finger in the light socket, you know. And he said something about, you know, folks that have issues or whatever, you know, they may manifest. I thought, okay, those people have issues. I don't know if that's exactly what he said, but that's what I heard. So <laughs> anyways, I was the one guy in the room. And we, we went and, and John Arnott just starts, so you know how much daddy loves you? He just does that and blah, and everybody's like doing this on the floor. And I'm like, what is going on? People are laughing and crying and people all over. And I didn't, I didn't get it at all. Uh, because I was trying to rationalize it in my mind, you know, I was a little bit freaked out. So just being honest, anybody ever been in that position where you've been at church service and you're the one person that's like, what is going on up in here right now? And, uh, you know, we can even be the type to uh, even start making, that's fake. I can tell that's fake. You're laughing, ha, 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 isn't really... <laughs> I don't want to hear ha, 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 maybe a guffaw or something, you know, that's real. This guy, this guy looks like he's getting hit by the spirit. So anyways, when the Lord called uh, us to be a part of a Catch the Fire church, uh, he had actually been working on me for uh, years before he actually filled me in. No, it's a Catch the Fire church. And I went, oh, Lord, really? <laughs> but I knew it was God. And um, yeah, he got me real good and just delivered me from uh, the need to try to judge what's going on. Now, uh, I don't feel like there's any need for that. If someone's having a moment, they're having a moment. I, I don't need to worry about whether it's legit or not, unless they're being so uh, disruptive that it, it uh, affects everybody in the room or even one person in the room, like bumping into somebody or elbowing somebody in the eye or something like that. Other than that, I'm not going to worry about it. I, it was really great. It was refreshing in the first few years of the church just not to care, not to worry about well, I'm not sure if that's really God or not, and uh, because I used to do that. All right, so this is what we're talking about today. <laughs> but it's actually a part of the life of a disciple to interact with the Spirit of God. Do you believe that? Yes. And it's, it's actually a function of discipleship, uh, the work of the Holy Spirit to actually train us and teach us how to connect with God and how to experience Him uh, on deeper and deeper levels as we go along. you all believe that? Yes. Okay. So I want to talk about you for a minute uh, and introduce you to yourself. Man is actually a composite of three parts, body, soul, and spirit. And you've probably heard that before, right? We are a tripart being. Sorry, get the dry mouth. <clears throat> uh, so God dwells in the spirit. Our self dwells in our soul. And our senses dwell in our body. So God dwells in the spirit. The spirit man is the place where God actually fills us. 
although I believe that there's a feeling that can touch every part of us, and that's the point. But initially, our connection, our point of connection with the Lord is actually in our spirit. We'll get into that. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says this, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's this process that God is doing where he's redeeming every bit of us, where he wants to fill us all the way through and align us uh, with his purpose and with his presence. So you've probably heard me relate to the creation story in Genesis chapter 2 and talk about this idea that when man was created, that God formed him from the dust of the earth and he actually blew, the, the breath of God blew into him and that was the spirit that he gave man. Genesis 2.7 says, And the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. So it, the soul was actually created by the life of God, by the spirit he gave us. When he gave us a spirit, he actually animated our body with a soul. So you can see in that passage right there, the three-part being, both of those passages we just read. Uh, but that's quite interesting in the way that we were created. Now, I'm going to read a lot of quotes from Watchman Nee. Does anybody know who Watchman Nee is? Has anybody ever read any Watchman Nee? Yeah, some, some of y'all have read Watchman Nee. Okay, so I think he would lived like the end of uh, the 1800s, you know, probably into early 1900. No? Oh. Something else. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I've got to stop reacting to noises. Anyways, uh, so anyways, I'm going to read some quotes from uh, his book because I think that they're very helpful in us understanding the difference between our soul and our spirit and even our body. And then we're going to do some, uh, I'm going to ask for some uh, participation, some volunteers to come up and we'll, we'll actually do uh, um, some visual uh, enactment that will really help when we get to the Romans 8 part, okay? Uh, the spirit of man touching the dead body produced the soul. The body apart from the spirit was dead, but with the spirit, man was made alive. The organ thus animated was called the soul. Interesting. It is imperative. This is Watchman Nee. It is imperative that a believer know that he has a spirit. Every com uh, communication of God with man occurs there in the spirit. This is very important. If the believer does not discern his own spirit, he invariably is ignorant of how to commune with God in the spirit. He easily substitutes the thoughts or emotions of the soul for the works of the spirit. Thus, he confines himself to the outer realm, unable ever to reach the spiritual realm. And, and Watchman Nee right here is talking about how uh, he's talking about temple theology, which I don't have time to get into today. But if you think about the, the temple, you had the outer court where everyone could go. And that's like our body. Uh, and then the inner court was where the priest served, which would be like the soul. And inside the inner court was called uh, uh, the holy place. And in there we have the lampstand, the showbread, uh, the different articles there, the utensils, and the altar of incense there. 
But beyond the veil is the holiest of all. It's the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant, where God's very presence would be. And now we know that in Christ, the veil was torn. Amen. And now where is the temple? The temple was destroyed in AD 70. And Jesus reinstituted the theology of, of the temple that we are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We are where God dwells. And so this idea of the holiest of all would be the, the spirit and then our soul would be that, uh, that holy place and then the outer court would be our body. We'll go into that some other time. I've brought up temple theology before and it's just something that I don't have time to dive into any more than that, but that's what he's talking about here. So the spirit has three main functions. I want to talk about the spirit just a little bit. And these functions that the spirit operates in is conscience, intuition, and communion. This is very interesting. So I'm going to talk about the conscience. The conscience is the discerning organ, which distinguishes right and wrong. Not, however, through the influence of knowledge stored in the mind, but rather by a spontaneous direct judgment. Think about that for a minute. The conscience is the discerning organ which distinguishes right and wrong, not, however, through the influence of knowledge stored in the mind, but rather by a spontaneous direct judgment. Often reasoning will justify things which our conscience judges. So we can make excuses for stuff, but we have this inner knowing of, even though my mind says that all that's right, there's something inside me that says that's not right, that's wrong. That's your spirit speaking to you. That's your conscience. Often reasoning will justify things which our conscience judges. The work of the conscience is independent and direct. It does not bend to outside opinions. If man should do wrong, it will raise its voice of accusation. All right, so that's conscience. That's one of the functions of the spirit. The second function of your spirit, by the way, we're talking about your spirit, not the Holy Spirit right now. Your spirit is married to the Holy Spirit, but that's we'll get to that in a minute. Intuition is the sensing organ of the human spirit. It is so diametrically different from physical sense and solical sense that it is called intuition. So intuition involves a direct sensing independent of any outside influence. That knowledge which comes to us without any help from the mind, emotion, or will comes intuitively. We really know through our intuition. Our mind merely helps us to understand. Does that make sense? Okay. The revelations of God and all of the movements of the Holy Spirit are known to the believer through his intuition. So I think sometimes we, like I said, with myself going out there to see John and Carol, it was my soul, it was my mind, my ability to reason, my uh, mountains of theology and all of my filing things away, not that, I know, sorry, Alan, my mountains of understanding, let me put it that way, my, my biblical worldview foundation is a better way than using the word theology, but my, my understanding of all that was getting in the way of me actually being able to uh, intuitively understand, although I will admit, I remember saying to Alan, Okay, I sense God is here. I sense God is here. This is the same spirit that like when we worship at my church. I just don't understand what's going on here. 
And because that was my soul at work trying to make sense of it. A believer must therefore heed these two elements, the voice of conscience and the teaching of intuition. All right. And then communion is the third function of the Spirit. Communion is worshiping God. The organs of the soul are incompetent to worship God. God is not apprehended by our thoughts, feelings, or intentions. <laughs> anybody, anybody surprised to hear that? The organs of the soul are incompetent to worship God. God is not apprehended by our thoughts, by our feelings, or our intentions. For He can only be known directly in our spirits. Our worship of God and God's communications with us are directly in the Spirit. They take place in the inner man, in that inner holy of holies, so to speak, in the Spirit, not in the soul or outward man. It is here in the Spirit that God regenerates us. He teaches us and leads us into His rest. But sad to say, due to long years of bondage to the soul, many Christians know very little of their spirit. Anybody agree with that? Yes. I, I mean, this is I was serving the Lord forever and just didn't really understand this very well. We ought to tremble before God, asking Him to teach us through experience what is spiritual and what is soulish. So, Father, we just thank You for Your Word. Lord, we thank You for servants like Watchman Nee, Holy Spirit, we thank you for how you manifest yourself. We thank you that you are our reality and that you are constantly revealing the Father. You're constantly revealing Jesus. You're birthing and moving and shaping us into Christ's image, and we're so grateful for that. So we yield today, Lord. I ask right now, God, that you give us the ability for our spirit man to turn on all over the room so that we would receive the revelation of your truth and be able to actually commune with you. We want to commune with you, Lord, spirit to spirit on that level. In Jesus' name, hallelujah, amen. So before, before the believer is born again, his spirit becomes so sunken and surrounded by his soul that it is impossible for him to distinguish whether something is emanating from the soul or from the spirit. I really believe that that has something to do with, uh, as I'm grasping at this understanding of when God actually breathed uh, the life of God into man and he became a living soul. I think that this is key to the understanding there that when he said, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. And then he didn't die, but something changed and they were removed from the garden. It's that the soul actually, I mean, the, um, the soul took over, made that decision through the flesh and the soul partnered together to take of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And when they did that, they murdered the spirit and the spirit still alive to them, but dead to God. Does that make sense? I know this is deep theology stuff here, but um, hang with me. The functions of the latter have become mixed up with those of the former. Furthermore, the spirit has lost its primary function towards God, for it is dead to God. It thus would appear that it has become an accessory to the soul, which is people that are not regenerated, that have not received Christ. That's kind of where they're living. They have a spirit, but it's become an accessory to the soul. It's so smothered under their soul that it's not getting any life. Does that make sense? It's not able to breathe. 
It thus would appear that it has become an accessory to the soul. And as the mind, emotion and volition, which is will, grow stronger, the functions of the spirit become so eclipsed as to render them almost unknown. That is why there must be the work of dividing between the soul and the spirit after a believer is regenerated. It's actually part of the job of the word of God to divide the soul and spirit. Anybody remember where that's from? Hebrews 4.12. Hebrews 4.12. There we go. The word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the vision, to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So now we understand a little bit more that there is this actual dividing process that God does for us through his word, through the presence of Jesus himself. Jesus is the word. Through a realization, a manifestation of who he is, that he begins to work with us and say, now that's your soul and here's your spirit. And breathe life into both, but primarily through the spirit first. So, the soul. Talk about the soul. We talked about the spirit. Let's look at the soul a little bit. Uh, the soul is that which constitutes man's personality. And there are three main faculties in the soul. How many have ever heard that before, that your soul is your mind, will, and emotions? Uh, Watchman Nee uses the word volition for will. So volition is the instrument of our decisions, or your will is the instrument of our decisions, revealing uh, our power to choose. It expresses our willingness or unwillingness. We will or we won't do this or that. Without it, uh, man is reduced to an automaton. Does anybody believe that, that you're just a robot and God moves you around however he wants you? Some people do believe that, whether they know it or not. That's the way they see their Christian uh, experience, is that God's just going to do whatever he's going to do and just, you know, whatever, it's going to be okay because God's got it all figured out. Well, he does, but it's not like that. God gives us sovereignty over our own being. <clears throat> Anyways, the mind, let's talk about the mind. The mind is the instrument for our thoughts and it manifests our intellectual power. Uh, out of this arise wisdom, knowledge, and reasoning. Lack of it makes a man foolish and dull. So, I mean, all of this stuff's important. Every, every part of you is important. And the last thing I want to do is uh, give off the idea that everything is spirit and that our soul is not important. Our soul is extremely important. See, in the, in the garden, in the beginning, this, this body, soul, and spirit were all perfectly integrated and aligned and functioning and flowing the way that they're supposed to. And in Christ, when we're redeemed, there is this process of your spirit man coming back to life and us then going through this uh, relationship with the Holy Spirit, redeeming and cleansing and healing and aligning all of us. That's what we're after, right? Our bodies and our soul. All right. So the, yes. So the mind, the instrument is the instrument for our thoughts and it manifests our intellectual power. Uh, we did that already. Lack. Of it makes a man foolish and dull. 
So the, inter- the instrument for our likes and dislikes is the faculty of emotion. I love emotions. I, I'm so grateful that we have emotions. But it's the instrument for things that we get to prefer. It's, it's our likes and, dis- it, likes and dislikes. And we love the feels. Anybody love the feels? I love encountering God and feeling Him blow through the room, and it's great. I, I love... Uh, embracing my wife. and <laughs> I, I feel very endeared towards her. Uh, through it, we are able to express love or hate and to feel joyful, angry, sad, or happy. Any shortage of it will render man as insensitive as wood or stone. <laughs> I, I'm going to stop reading this pretty quick, I promise. The soul is the site of personality. The will, intellect, and emotions of man is there. As the spirit is used to communicate with the spiritual world and the body with the natural world, so the soul stands between and exercises its power to discern and decide whether the spiritual or the natural world should reign. So the soul is really important because the soul is where we make our decisions about who's in charge. So when we talk about the kingdom of God and uh, acknowledging when we believe on Jesus Christ, we trust him. When we say that God raised him from the dead, all of that is centered in this reality that he's the long-awaited Messiah, he's the king of the universe, and that what he said is actually true. And it's with our ability to decide that we choose then to surrender and allow him access to every part of us where he becomes Lord. That's what we mean when we call him Lord. Sometimes, too, the soul itself takes control over man through its intellect. This is, I mean, anybody know what this is about here? I think as Americans, it's, it's kind of natural for us and, and to be uh, staunchly independent. You know, we, we value that, and that's good. Um, but when it comes to our relationship with the Lord and really with others, we need to be careful. Sometimes, too, the soul itself takes control over man through its intellect, thus creating an ideational world uh, which reigns. <laughs> in, in order for the spirit to govern, the soul must give its consent. In order for the spirit to govern, the soul must give its consent. And I think that's kind of at the center of uh, our ability to step into the, the move of God is often, we, I got to understand all this, you know, because our, our mind, our ability to intellectually process, uh, even all of our culture for the last five, six hundred years uh, since the Enlightenment period, you know, we came out of the Dark Ages and into the Enlightenment and we discovered science and industry and uh, all kinds of mechanical things and all of that. And honestly, through that, the the uh, mysticism or the cosmic side of reality, the uh, unseen realm was shut down uh, in the public eye. Like, if you guys want to talk about stuff that we can't see, go do it in your in, behind closed doors. And the church then began building cathedrals and all that to dwell in because we don't want to hear it because we know now that we can rationalize 
Everything that we can see is what's real and touch and taste the five senses of our body. And that's really something that we've encountered as a, as a people and as a culture, as a civilized modern world, if we call that modernism, there's all kinds of buzzwords. Uh, but that's kind of what we're up against is that uh, every time we are encountered by the Spirit of God and there's an ability to step beyond the veil, there's a hindrance to try to run it through a filter uh, of our flesh, which includes our, our mind. So in order for the spirit to govern, the soul must give its consent. Otherwise, the spirit is helpless to regulate the soul and the body. We're going to do an illustration here in a minute. It'll make a whole lot more sense. No one's going to leave here and go, I don't know what happened. But this decision is up to the soul. For therein resides the personality of the man. So much of our identity is wrapped up in what we choose and what we favor and what we prefer and what we allow to happen and what we decide to shut down. Actually, the soul is the pivot of the entire being because man's volition belongs to it. It is only when the soul is willing to assume a humble position that the spirit can ever manage the whole man. If the soul rebels against taking such a position, the spirit will be powerless to rule. This explains the meaning of the free will of man. Man is not a robot, an automaton, that turns according to God's will. Rather, man has full sovereign power to decide for himself. God made us that way. He possesses the organ of his own volition and can choose either to follow God's will or to resist him and follow Satan's will instead. You guys know we've done a lot of these illustrations up here, acting that sort of thing out and having fun. But I think sometimes a visual helps. So God's desire, God desires that the spirit, being the noblest part of man, should control the whole being. You believe that? Yet the will, the crucial part of individuality, belongs to the soul. It is the will which determines whether the spirit, the body, or even itself is to rule. All right. Is everybody okay? I didn't accuse anybody of being soulish. I'm just saying that's what happens. That's why we have a hard time entering into the spirit because we're processing. All right. So our text for today is actually from Romans 8. Y'all want to turn there in your Bible? I think before I read this, I want to, I need 10 volunteers from the audience. Allison, come on. Y'all just come running up here and we'll get this done. Of course, that would be the. I'm going to start pointing at people. These are kind of large, so. What do I do with it? Put it on. 
Oh, this is great. I'm going to pick on my son-in-law. Oh, wait a minute. I know who you're going to be because I love you so much. Here you go. <laughs> I, we're missing we're missing a few people. I don't see. Do we have 10 here? Need some more. All right. Uh, no, I think that's it. Snooze, you lose, bro. All right. Manly. That's. How do you wear that? Put it on. <laughs> you just put it on. It's like a dress. Do, that's it. do you go inside of it? I think so. Yeah. I think this is happening. Need some assistance. Thank you. Sorry. There you go. All right. <laughs> Where's sin? Oh. We've got an addition for you, though. You, you know what? You did such an excellent job. You're a natural. Okay. All right. Cast and crew. Yes. Uh, well, this, this is yours, but not going to happen yet because Jesus holds that. Y'all are like, man, this pastor's crazy. All right. This is for you too. Okay, so say hello to this is earthly reality. And so not all earthly reality is actually negative, okay? Although in this sense, uh, we have uh, Pharaoh with uh, some of the other skits that we've done. It's the power of this world, so to speak, uh, the ruler of this world, and uh, also uh, kind of characterized by the 
the influence of the serpent. So anyways, earthly reality, in this case, not necessarily bad. Uh, we have, let's see, I'm going to have you stand there. So I'm going to shuffle you guys. So I need the body. So you're next. And this, this represents our body. And our body is not bad. Our body is important, but our body, uh, actually, we've got a donkey because, not because it's dumb, but because our body is, is the carrier. It, it does, interacts with everything in this world and carries us around. So it could be stubborn. That's right. It could be very stubborn. All right. Uh, let's see. And then I need team soul. So, uh, mind, will, and emotion. Come on over here. So let's move that way just a little bit. Just to, there we go. All right. That's good. All right, so we have the mind, will, and emotion here. Turn around, all three of you. Team, team soul. All right, and then we have the spirit man, and then we have heavenly reality here. And I'm guessing that all of you can figure who Manly is today. And then we also have this character, sin. All right, so let's take you over here. and. <laughs> we work together. Come on. Yeah, y'all, y'all work together. But, but this one here is everybody step forward about four steps. There you go. This one here, that's good. Yeah, that's good. This one here is doing this number, just getting all up in the middle of this stuff here. All right. <laughs> All right, so in Adam, I, I was going to get a tombstone, but I decided not to. Can you lay on the stage for me? Now, this is our spirit. And in Adam, like I said, when he chose, Adam and Eve chose to uh, embrace the serpent's voice rather than the father's voice, it put them in a position uh so, Team Soul, you got to kind of go over there and kind of squash him a little bit. Yeah, I mean, don't hurt him or anything, but <laughs> smothering the spirit man to where he's dead to God, dead to heavenly reality. And in Christ, he's raised again. So, let's read Romans 8 1 through 6. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account or for because of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So, Jesus, go lay down next to the spirit. Well, of course, we have the cross for a visual. When Christ died for us and made provision for us to be with the Father, we rose with 
Christ. So both of you now get up. Hallelujah. Praise God. And Jesus gives the spirit man his relationship with the Holy Spirit. I think it can turn around. Gives the Holy Spirit. So, so this now represents our relationship. We are married to God and we have the Holy Spirit. In the book of Acts chapter 2, you remember the tongues of fire. Uh, and fire often uh, was representative of the presence of God. Think uh, Mount Sinai and Moses and the fire coming down. Mount Carmel with Elijah and the fire coming down. Uh, the burning bush uh, and also in Acts chapter 2. All right, so at this point, sin, who has been making a mess, he's actually condemned in the flesh. So take a seat, sin. Over, no, over there in that chair. I put the chair up there for you. At the foot of the cross, that's a good place for him to be. Now you've got the rope, so you pass judgment and also tie that booger up. So because of what Christ has done and an indwelling of the Holy Spirit as believers, it's not that we don't have flesh still that is able to uh, fall into temptation, but yet Christ has made sin off limits now for the believer and has actually put condemnation uh, past sentence on sin itself. (laughs) There you go. All right. So he condemns sin in the flesh, verse 4, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh, this is key to the whole sermon, set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And so now our life, this new life that we've been given, Paul is in this big long argument in the book of Romans about what it means to be uh, of the nature of Adam and what it means to be now of the new human nature that is in the Messiah. And so as we are new, you all have heard me say this a lot, humanity 2.0, you're a new creature, a new type of being altogether. And in this kind of life, It's actually animated by the Holy Spirit so that our life and our being is in the Holy Spirit. And I had another Jesus outfit, uh, but I thought I probably should have got Jesus outfits for everybody and pulled up short of that. But the work of the Spirit then working in us would then be to start putting Jesus robes on on our body and on our mind and our emotions and our will because it's the work of the Spirit as we commune and interact with Him and encounter Him to begin to transform us, like that song, uh, that spontaneous worship we had this morning where Lauren said, burn holy fire, everything that doesn't look like Jesus, right? And so that's the work of the Holy Spirit inside of us to make us just like him, in which case sin has been condemned in the flesh. It's like a, like a, like a building that has been condemned. It's not like it's not there. It's just when you drive past, nobody goes there. <laughs> 
Does that make sense? All right. So, uh, how we set our mind actually determines whether we're walking in life and peace or not. Okay. How we set our mind determines whether we're walking in life and peace or not. That word life there is actually the word Zoe. It's God's very life. So we talked about how the soul is actually in the middle and the soul is the one that can actually stop us from entering in in the spirit. I feel like I'm, oh, Will needs to be over there. It's like something. <laughs> All right, so body wants you face everybody. And all of you guys come this way a little bit. Now turn and face the body. Now we have to understand that these are integrated together. They're, they're merged together. And body, you're important because we need to be able to interact with the outside world. Have you ever heard the term that we could be so heavenly minded that we're of no earthly good? Well, that's true. We need to be able to... Uh, experience things through our five senses that, you know, our smell, touch, taste, uh, hearing, and vision. We, we need to do that. And soul, you're important to the body because you make decisions about what they're encountering. And so it's important that your role being integrated with the body uh, works the way it should. And so none of this is in itself bad. I don't want, the, there's a possibility of doing this teaching that it could be all heaven's good and all earth is bad. But the, the idea here is that we're talking about the setting our mind means that we're primarily oriented towards the spirit. In other words, we don't allow any of this to be what governs and rules the way in which we make decisions. It has to be filtered through the spirit first. Does that make sense? Okay. So let's turn now to the spirit. Spirit, you're important because you're the one that interacts with heavenly reality. And soul, the way in which you uh, interact with the spirit. <laughs> Amen. There, there is a whole nother world that is unseen. There's an unseen realm. Yes, it's the Father. Yes, Christ. And we're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Uh, but there's also you know, every other kind of angels and, uh, you know, rulers and principalities and all, there's all this stuff going on in the spirit realm. And it's through the spirit that we're able to discern uh, and our intuition and make decisions that affect all of us. And that needs to be the one that we are primarily set our minds on the things of the spirit that we are primarily oriented to. Is everybody tracking with me? So that when we're, when you guys are your orientation is towards what's going on in the spirit. You actually, I had another rope. There we go. Oh, you should be on the end over there. Oh, you, I'm sorry. No, you're good. That thing gets hot, I know. Yeah. If the hats are getting hot, I'm sorry. We're almost done with this part. But here's the deal. So if, if earthly reality pulls and everybody turns that way, then your ability to interact with the spirit world is somewhere back here. 
right? And if the, if the soul is the one, this guy right here is the kingpin. <laughs> because he's the one that decides which way. <laughs> he's the one that decides which way this is going to go. Uh, obviously, he's consulting with these two because they're a team. <laughs> but our volition, our will, makes a really big difference in how we orient ourselves. When we actually learn how to then uh, submit and humble ourselves in the soul realm that we are able to then pull that direction, that heavenly reality. And when we do this, all of this gets pulled into that reality, even the lost world. Hallelujah. All right, you guys are awesome. Thank you so much. I know they get kind of hot. I just kept slipping my head. <laughs> I'm good with that. You can keep the shirt if you want. Too big? Okay. We made them big on purpose that way. So the soul is, or I'm sorry, the spirit is very important because it's joined to God's spirit and heavenly reality, the whole entire unseen realm. So the mind or the soul set on the spirit is actually life and peace. That's what the word says there in Romans 8. So much of what discipleship is, it's not leaving behind earthly reality, but it's learning to turn our soul, set our mind on things of the spirit. To set our mind on heavenly reality through the spirit so that we can actually interact with that heavenly reality. I like your painting, Elena. It's not that we only interact with heavenly, heavenly reality that we are of no earthly good. Uh, it's that there's a priority there for us to actually orient ourselves towards heaven. So, spiritual disciplines and encounters work together to, to disciple us. You're like, what does this have to do with the life of a disciple? So spiritual disciplines and encounters work together to disciple us in setting our souls on the invisible realm. So I want to talk about spiritual disciplines for a minute. You know, I think that there's this culture uh, in the church, especially people that are open to revival, that we wait for revival to happen. And it's like we're waiting for the wind to blow. And that's not all wrong, but there is a way in which the wind is already blowing and that we can actually step into the wind. And we call that spiritual disciplines. So it's not rocket science. It's, it's the uh, giving ourselves over to the, to the study of the Word. It's our communion with God, our worship, not just here on Sundays, but our service, you know, our, our um, personal worship, whether we 
sing songs to God when nobody's looking. Um, fasting is, is a way in which we practice spiritual disciplines, the, the prayer, the life of a prayer. And then, like we talked about last week, beholding the glory of the Lord together, I think is just so key because it, it lifts us up and we learn from one another and we just seem to stir it up. But that may fall into uh, a, a crossover, a bridge between discipline and encounter. This is a way in which we can engage our soul in spiritual practices is a real way that we can initiate and not be passive uh, in the process of turning our minds towards the Spirit. Encounter. So this is what we started the talk with is encountering the Holy Spirit. It actually matters uh, that we would be open to the idea of encounter. I think that we can also get to a place where that's all we want is to encounter and we don't want to do any growth or any spiritual disciplines. The two work together. Um, you know, God encounters us. It's like if, if I had had them back up here, um, it's when somebody has an encounter with God, it's like being oriented towards the physical world all the time and the Holy Spirit or Jesus himself coming up and tapping you on the shoulder and saying, hey, there's this whole other world that I want you to encounter. There's a whole other unseen realm that I'm inviting you into. So often we say, why? Why would God zap somebody and they shake uncontrollably on the floor? Well, it's that. It's an invitation into a lifestyle to dig into spiritual disciplines and begin to actually function from that place. It's not in and of itself just so that you can get tickled, although, you know, we, we like it. You know, we like a good Holy Spirit party. I, sign me up for that like six days a week. I really, I really could go for that. As a matter of fact, Lord, I'm okay if you do that right now, if you just want to show up. Where's my keyboard? <laughs> Where's Matthew? Oh, there he is right there. <laughs> bless you. Bless you, son. He was just waiting. <laughs> I'm, I'm wrapping up, yeah. But I, it, it, is a, it is a thing so that we shouldn't shy away for, or be scared of encounters. Nor should we judge other people when they're having a moment with God where God's actually doing something there. And I think that when we do have an encounter, it's coming upon us to actually steward the encounter. Like uh, every, every legit time when I got blasted by the Holy Spirit, I really, I went home and I was like, why, Lord? Like, what did, what did, why did it, why did you, that's not normal. Although I'm praying that that becomes more normal. But I can go, you know, months on end without having that happen and then God touches me so deeply. I want to know, what is it that you are looking for me to encounter? How, how are we growing from this experience? And the, the first real time that I had that with, uh, you guys know I've told a story. Duncan turned around and went, boom, and I hit the dirt and was there for an hour and 45 minutes having this amazing encounter with God. And, um, but I remember it for like weeks. I'd sit on the couch and I'd go, but why? Why'd you do that to me? You know, because I was just a blubbering mess, just weeping and convulsing and repenting and letting go of things. His spirit was just on me. Like That's that division of the soul and spirit that Hebrews talks about. Where he comes in, you know, like the, the high priest with the sword that is actually able to go in and separate moving parts from parts that don't move. And I remember the Lord saying, because this, 
And at that moment, my son came walking through the back door and I got just this boom, just this overwhelming sense of how much I love my son. And he said, because of that. <laughs> Unless I run off and make a doctrine of that alone, it was more. It's like days and months of him just revealing to me as much as I could actually absorb why he would want to encounter me in that way. But it was an invitation. An invitation to live my life oriented from that way. And so you could say it like this. I became addicted to the presence of God. Where I realized how much that, that matters to me. That that matters to you. That your soul needs a touch from God. Your body needs a touch from God. Believe it or not, your family and your church needs you to have a touch from God. Your co-workers, your neighbors, the United States needs you to have an encounter with God. Thank you for listening to the Consumed Church weekly podcast. This entire service and others can be viewed on our Facebook and YouTube channels. If you would like to partner with us, in raising the next generation of kingdom bringers, you can do so at theconsumedchurch.com slash give.